if you are under 12 years old, would you please stand up? Everybody under 12, just stand up. Uh, I see some holdups. <laughs> okay. Ah, wow, that's... So, um, okay, how about everybody that... Uh, yeah, that's good, hold them up. Okay, how about everybody that's still living at home, stand up. Whoa. Okay, quite an army there. Okay, you can be seated. That's all that's required of you now. So tonight's lesson is uh, for Homes on Purpose is the Christian family a tool for evangelism. The story is told of a pastor in a growing church, and his church kept growing and growing, and people kind of wondered what his success was. And so some other pastors uh, from town visited the church one day. And their story was is that he really wasn't all that great of a pastor. And so they were a little confused why this church was growing. And so they caught some of the parishioners as they were leaving. And they said, why do you go to this church? Oh, they said, why do we go to this church? Why, it's because of the pastor. Why, what is it about the pastor? Why, they said, did you see his family? He said, all oh, his family all setting up there? He says, we come here because of his family. His, we, we want to be like his family. A man that can have a family like this, we want to be underneath of his teaching. And I say that to you fathers and mothers tonight that the Christian family as a tool for evangelism, it impacts people way beyond anything you can imagine. Uh, way beyond just preaching a sermon, way beyond just sowing some seeds. Uh, it impacts people with a language that, that is oftentimes even unspoken. So if we start out tonight with some definitions, what is a Christian family? Uh, the Christian family is defined, first of all, I think to be fair to all of us, is by this person right there. All right? The Christian family is defined by the person in the name, Jesus Christ. Christ. You see, there's a lot more to a Christian family than just a family that shows up at church on Sunday or Bible school or uh, has prayer before they eat at the meals or, or whatever. Uh, it is a Christ-centered and family is, we're just kind of uh, implying a group of uh, more than one person 
uh, a parent, one parent, two parents. We have different situations that have children, uh, either by birth or perhaps by adoption. And that makes up a family, a Christian family. But what about this tool? Uh, how do you like being considered a tool? What, what do we mean by a tool? Uh, I think about a tool as just like an instrument uh, with a specific pur purpose, something that uh, you have in your hand or something that, that's within your control or something that you wield. Uh, something, I, I think about a tool, something that that's, goes beyond me, something that extends out of my hand. If it's a, if it's a long tool, uh, I was washing the windows the other day thinking, I thought about bringing the extension pole up here, you know, because it keeps going out, but it kind of locked up on me, has some problems with it. And, but, but it goes way out beyond me. And I think that's what we talk about a tool. Your children are, your, the family that God has given you will go way, way, way beyond you. And these children stood up tonight. Uh, multitudes, Lord tearing, it'd be multitudes of children and, and vast multitudes of children that could comb the, comb the world uh, for Christ. So that, that's the Christian family, talked about a tool, and now what about evangelism? And I think tonight for our uh, consideration, evangelism, we simply mean sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, the news of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to probably stretch it even beyond that, uh, not just to the unsaved world, uh, but when a family, a Christian family, uh, sees themselves as a tool for evangelism, that is also practiced in just wherever they are. In other words, it's what I'm saying is this becomes something that is organic. This is something that is a, um, it's like a lifestyle. It's not just an agenda. It's not a program. So it's who you are. It's your, like your DNA, wherever you are, uh, whether it's your next door neighbor that is a believer or your next door neighbor that's not a believer. It's, it's just all encompassing tonight and scope as we bring that out. It's just a way that the passion of, of God is that the Gentiles will glorify Him, the people of God will glorify Him, and that forever and ever Jesus Christ, the centerpiece of glory, will be worshipped and glorified. As a, as a reference tonight, I was reading about the triumphant entry as Jesus came into the city and there was a lot of excitement. Think about the fathers and mothers that brought their children with them that day and the children were excited and probably saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And their scribes didn't like that. Uh, Jesus was getting a clap that they didn't want him to have. And so they said to him, uh, ahead of this verse, they said, you know, quiet 
the children down, quiet them down. They're making too much noise. And Jesus responded like this. He said unto them, Have you never read that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Don't you know this? And that kind of fascinated me. And so I'm going to turn back to Psalm uh, chapter 8, verse 2, where this comes from. What is it that they should have known? What, what was he referring to? So in the Bible, you go back to Psalm 8, verse 2, and uh, actually start in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, Hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger? Now, I looked at that and said, well, this babes and sucklings, but the word babe doesn't necessarily, I think it could have been translated more like this, young children and babies. Um, if you'd look at it in both places, it would be translated that way. But what's interesting in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, when it talks about out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained, that word ordained means this, fixing and establishing and laying a foundation for strength, and I put for the future. So that kind of excited me as I look at this Christian family as a tool for evangelism, that God has set, God has ordained, God has placed, God has anointed, God is putting his stamp, God is creating an environment within the hearts of children that are exposed to the word of God that he will build a foundation there. He will build a, a, a uh, launch pad there, if you please, that when they are ignited with the Holy Spirit of God, intrinsic or extrinsic, they will have a message for the world. That's who they are. That's what I get out of Psalm 8, verse 2. And those children that day, I just see it like this. I don't think they were trying to put on a performance. I don't think they were, they had been told to, to do this. I think it's, it was just who they were at the core. They were excited for a Christ to come. And, and uh, they, I'm sure they had heard about this. And their parents were excited. And uh, their parents brought them along. And they were all the families were there. They didn't leave their children at home. It's pretty evident. They were making so much noise, it got the attention of the scribes. So uh, that's kind of the setting. And uh, that uh, is going to give us a platform for tonight. So before we address specific ways and so forth, I just want to say this again, that God has big plans for little 
ones. And I have found some very interesting passages, and I'm going to share them with you. Listen closely. Back in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, God's people are distressed and they're discouraged. And I read words like this, beginning in verse 1. I'll read four or five verses here. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God we had died in this wilderness? Now listen to the accusation. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. Whoa. It'd been better for us to return to Egypt. They said, let's make us a captain and let's go back. Do you hear blame pointed at God for the, what they thought was going to be the outcome of their children? You brought us out here to destroy our wives and our children. You see the heading here says, God has big plans for little ones. So if we turn on over to the book of Deuteronomy, I love this. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I don't have time to get all the context, but uh, uh, here's what eventually happens. Moreover... Your little ones, remember God has big plans for little ones. Your little ones, which you said, your little ones, follow closely, which you said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither unto them will I give it and they shall possess it and you, Papa and Mamas, you go back to the wilderness. God has big plans for little ones. God says, you, I'm taking the children in. There's something about a child's perception, a child's trust, a child's Innocence, a child's willingness to step up and step in and step out or whatever it takes. God anoints and blesses. Big plans for little ones. I look at you children back there and you young people back there, all of you that are still living at home. You could be a tribe someday. 
You could be a nation. You could be a people. You could be a, you know, you're just not a little Johnny. You're not a little Susie. Inside of you is a person that God will use to shape and change and spread the gospel. I wonder if uh, Miriam really knew the potential of getting a nurse for her little brother who would just happen to be the deliverer of a nation. Or Jochebed, as she hid this baby, did she really understand the potential of this man, Moses? But she just did what she could. God has big plans for little ones. Now, I'll just tell you, this is recorded, but it's okay. Uh, the first time, one of the first times I think we ever came to Ellensburg, we were still, you were, the brothers were meeting over in the uh, Kittitas Hall. And I met a little fellow that day, uh, back in the early 90s, uh, it probably been the very early 90s, and I said, what is your name? And he looks way up at me and he says, my name is Elijah. And I said, well, what would you like to do when you grow up? And he looked at me and he says, sir, I would like to be like a mighty prophet of God. Well, <laughs> Elijah has, uh, is serving the Lord and faithfully. Humbly, weakly, but you know, there was something that sat in that little boy. He didn't just dream that up of his own. You could start putting the pieces together. God has big plans for little ones. It's okay to stand up and say, Sir, I would like to be one of the mighty prophets of God. It's okay to say, Sir, I would be okay with giving my life for Jesus Christ. I remember one of the most touching dreams I ever had in my life. I was probably seven years old. I don't know. Six, seven, eight years old. I never forgot it. We were in the old meeting house I grew up in. And it was a, a solemn time. The word came out in my dream that if you loved Christ, you were going to go to the basement and have your head chopped off. And I remember all the people, all the people I knew, they all filed single file up to an old basement door. There wasn't a word spoken. Nobody cried, nobody screamed, nobody hollered. It was like, yes. This is what we do. I woke up right when I got to the top of the basement steps. But I've never forgot that. God has big plans for little ones, and I don't know how he's touching your heart, and he will touch your heart. I'm encouraging you parents, listen closely to the hearts of your children as they share their longings. Affirm them. We heard that today. Affirming. God affirmed his own son who was the evangelist of all evangelists. He affirmed him. I can remember in my life being affirmed. I told the, 
saying today, men of God affirmed me when I, shouldn't, I didn't deserve to be affirmed. But they knew what they were doing. They were kind of, you know, hoping it would catch on, it would pick up. Um, they were wise men. I have listened to my wife affirm our sons over and over uh, due to her complications, her medical situation. Every single child that we have is a total absolute miracle. Every child in here is. But she would tell the story of how long she laid in bed and how the miracle you are and how we prayed over you. You see, and they'll say, tell us the story again. Can you imagine someone like Isaac going up there with his father Abraham? And I don't know how old he is. And, and Isaac is saying, hey, there's going to be a sacrifice, but, but where's the sacrifice? And, you know, maybe, I don't know whether it ever dawned on him whether he would be the one or not. But, but imagine every time Isaac was, Dad, tell me that story. How old was, how old was you when I was conceived? How old was mom? God has big plans for little ones. And that is why we can preach about the Christian family, a tool for evangelism. So we're just going to look briefly at, there's going to be three different houses we will look at tonight and hopefully answer and look at three different Questions. Number one, ministry and family. Do they have to be opposing goals? All right, they have to pull one way or that way. Sometimes we talk about opposing goals. Well, why, let me ask you a question. Why would there be opposing goals in ministry and family? Anybody got it, want to make a shot at it? Why would there be, why would we even ask such a question? We have, we have a warped understanding of ministry and family. Good one. Warped as in? They would think they would compete for time. Compete for time? Okay. Yeah, I just, uh, it, it would be good we could stop it right here and just harvest. You know, I, I've seen, I've, it's in my own family. I've seen it all, all over wherever I have been. The balance, we call the balance between uh, family and ministry. I, I don't like it that way really because it's kind of like it's either one or the other. Really, It's really not that way. That's why I like this title for tonight. But it's a little bit like this. When you talk about um, this, this, um, opposing goals, it seems like sometimes that ministry might have more acceptance and more clap than back home at the family. Anybody can hit the ball out of the ballpark out there doing ministry. Wow, look at that. That's really great. Thank you for that. But you go back home and it's kind of, you know, it's the real deal. Um, we all understand that. You know, you don't see too many newsletters coming out of the home mission field, do you? Here's our newsletter. Here's me, here's me correcting Johnny. Here's me out, you know, here's me washing the dishes. Here's me at, at family devotions. Oh, here's us over at... Huh? 
I'm just trying to say uh, opposing goals. I think we could see that, that it could be possible. Uh, I just want to lay that ground lake, groundwork. And I'm saying this to fathers as we lay a groundwork and mothers, to those who know you best, love you most. Um, I mean, that, that's why we get some op- opposition sometimes. And that's why there is uh, opposing goals. But the family was first created before the church. And of course, we understand that tonight. Well, I want to look at this in Acts chapter 21, verse 8 and 9. We read something like this. Um, Let me just go there. Acts chapter 21. We're going to go to the house of Philip. and Just see if you think that there's any opposing uh, goals here. And the next day, Paul is saying, uh, we that, uh, the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. Now, we are in the house of Philip. We're in a household. We're in a family. And this family is uh, hosting the apostles. Uh, some, and he's called Philip, the evangelist. He was one of the seven back in Acts chapter 6. And they abode with them. And this same man had four daughters which did prophesy. And I'm not going to get into what that means because I don't know. All I know is what the Bible says. This man is called Philip. They're at the house of Philip the evangelist. And he's been a busy man. He was the one that went up to Samaria and preached mightily. He was a mighty man of God. One of the, he was a serving man of God chosen back in Acts chapter 6. He's a man that has a house. He's a man that had a place of, of a refuge for the, the workers of Christ to come. And it just says, oh, yes, and he has seven virgin daughters uh, which did prophesy. I, I don't know much beyond that, uh, what all this meant. But that's the house of Philip. And he worked hard and uh, so forth. The Bible says that in the last days, the book of Joel, and it comes out in Acts chapter 2, the last days, it says this, it shall come to pass in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dream and dream dreams. So there's no, no, it's not gender uh, specific that one's got it and one doesn't. It's not age specific. It's just your sons and your daughters shall be anointed and can have that in filling so that there can be ministry in the house. So uh, I'm going to leave this one. My question is, is does ministry and family have to be opposing goals? I believe the answer is obviously no. Number two, our families. Can they be a tool that God can use to reach the world? We're going to consider another house. Keep in mind this question. Can our families be a tool that God can use to reach the world? Acts chapter 12, verse 12. 
We're going to look at another house, another family. Acts 12, verse 12, and when he had considered the thing, and I should beg, Peter has in, is in jail. Peter was to be killed. He was to have, uh, uh, he was to be taken. His life is to be taken. And at, during the night, uh, there was a group of people praying, and Peter was released from jail by the angel. And, well, where did he, would he think about going? Well, uh, it says, when he had considered the thing, verse 12, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John. Now, this is whose surname was Mark. So, here is the household of where, the, uh, where Mark the evangelist, St. Mark the evangelist, and get that uh, with, the, with the question here, uh, can they be a tool that God can use to reach the world? So we're going to reach into Mary's house a little bit, and she's got a son that happens to be uh, John, whose surname is Mark, who we read from in the book of St. Mark, who says things like, what would you gain if you gained the whole world, lost your own soul? Who says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So here is Mark. Here is the house of Mary. So Mary has got this, this headquarters here, uh, some kind of a, a place, a hospitality center that she is using is evident as a tool of evangelism. Okay, so maybe you say, well, they, maybe these were all believers in there. Well, maybe they were all believers, but a Christian family that has a a hospitality center that has a passion to minister to believers, it's going to impact unbelievers ultimately as it goes out, ultimately as this whole environment uh, begins to swoon over you and to live in you and come out of you. Here is the house of Mary. And the house of Mary at this hospitality center, it's a house of prayer. And so if, a, if a, a house, a family is going to be reach the world for Christ, it's going to be a house of prayer. It's going to be a temple of God. It's going to be a place that, that people gather in, people feel comfortable about gathering in, like she did. It's going to have a ripple effect of Mary having company. It's going to ripple out uh, I was also raised in the house of Mary, and, and my mother was a widow, and I remember she would say to us, like, well, now, now next Sunday, I'm going to invite so-and-so and so-and-so, and I want them to come to our dinner table, and I want them to talk about, and she would tell us what she told them to come and talk about. Probably something we needed to hear, I'm sure of that, as I look back on it. But, you know, it'd be things like prophecy or whatever it is, and created an environment that that perhaps she may not have said so that you can become an evangelist. I'm just saying, let's don't think that all of the evangelistic work in this world takes place somewhere across the village or across the state or across the nation or across the world. 
It takes place right inside our homes, right at our dinner table, right at our supper table, right at our breakfast table, right at our bedside, right while you're walking the way, right while you're in the field, right while you're laying down, right while you're getting up, and so forth and so on, the book of Deuteronomy says. So here's back to the house of Mary. And uh, <clears throat> so Mary is... His, uh, somehow, I don't understand everything about her house, but there was a young man that went out of that house that we call St. Mark tonight. And you read about St. Mark. He gave his life as a martyr down in Alexandria in Egypt. They put hooks in his body. They drug him until the flesh, the flesh <clears throat> hooked up on rocks. It's a terrible story to read about the martyrdom of St. Mark. Somehow I believe that in the house of Mary uh, there was a passion for evangelism that God could take her son and use him to reach the world. <clears throat> Number three, practical ways of including your family to reach the world for Christ. But there's one more house could we just consider one more house? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. This is the last house we'll consider tonight. It's kind of where I just want to wind the message up here and discussing with you some of the practical ways. But I'm touched by this house. In 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 16, verse 15. I need to get there. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. I, I believe Paul says he, back in the first chapter or so of, of Corinthians, he says, I baptized this household. They were the first ones in, in Corinth to step out of the... Uh, nasty filth pool of the Corinthian immorality and they became believers. Now in those days it was common that the whole household would convert. The father, the mother, the servants, the sons, the daughters, the whole household would convert. And so now here we are, we're looking at this practical ways of including your family, and we're considering the house of Stephanus. Look what it says. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Though we're talking about the Christian family being a tool of evangelism, the Christian family, a tool of evangelism, and we're coming into the house of Stephanus who has addicted themselves to the ministry. Now, is there any conflicting goals in this setting? A household, a family, a Christian family who stepped out of the cesspool of sin and immorality. Those sons and daughters, so papa and mama, yes, we'll step out. Yes, we'll take the challenge. 
Yes, we'll go for Christ. And that's not all. We're going to addict ourselves to the ministry. And addicted doesn't mean necessarily like we may think it does. It's also, it is a good play on words. But accurately, it means we will be ordained in the ministry. We will be appointed in the ministry. We will set up ourselves for the ministry. We're going to be ministry. The household. The household. If you please, of Stephanus, the family is ministry. There is no conflicting goals in the household of Stephanus. They've addicted themselves to be faithful. They've addicted themselves to prayer. They've addicted themselves to the Word of God, to the ministry. So it flows out from there. I think these three houses are very uh, interesting to me. That uh, when, you're compare, when you're talking about the Christian family as a tool of evangelism, just look at the houses in the Bible and how it worked. Well, let's talk about some practical practical ways of including your family. <clears throat> I want to say one thing. Um, I'll just say, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I might need to say it again and again. I think it's easy in our um, Western culture to see missions as, or evangelism as, as this program. And uh, we're not against that. I am, I am a program person myself. I like programs. But not all evangelism is through a program. In fact, maybe the most effect, well, I, I'm not God. I don't, have, I, don't, I don't read the scales. God uses however he chooses to reach his world for Christ. So it's not about a program. It's not about an agenda. It is a lifestyle. And it will take you your whole life to serve your term. Uh, this, this is family evangelism. It's who we are. It's our DNA. Uh, it's, it's uh, what we make ourselves available for. So I'm just looking at some practical examples and I don't, there's so many of them, I'll, I'll give you a few, and then uh, I'm sure Jaden will open it up, and, and you can give us, you can fill in the rest. What works for you? Uh, what's something that has blessed you and, and touched your neighbors and so forth and so on? But one thing for sure, did you, you ever go to, I just love it when you go somewhere and they have their family altar and they invite you for prayer. Uh, And I hear children down on their face. I can <clears throat> barely tell what they're saying. And they're praying for unsaved neighbors. 
I don't even know whether they hardly know who they are. Where did they learn that? I think they've heard Papa and Mama praying for unsaved neighbors. And they'll wind that prayer around, and uh, it's really interesting to listen to children's prayers. Uh, but they, they learn that somewhere. They don't just make that up about that uh, Jesus would save Sammy and Bobby and Billy and whoever the neighbors are down the road. They, they've heard that. So, so I would say one of the ways in which we flesh out evangelism in our home is talking about the people around us that are unsaved. Well, but what would that mean to a child if they didn't understand, first of all, that God wants everybody to be saved? So I guess we'd have to back up a step, wouldn't we? We'd have to talk about the value of a soul. We'd have to talk about that God is worthy of every soul to be with him in eternity forever. And Jesus died on the cross for every person so they can be saved. Oh, so now you got that set in their mind. So it'd be talking about God's heart for the lost and praying about God's heart for the lost, teaching our children, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And there's only one way to be saved. Through Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Just simple evangelism, stacking up at home. So it starts right there. Uh, knowing what God says of his heart about the lost, knowing your neighbors that are lost. I still remember one time years ago, we were in the vehicle with a brother and sister and their little children. And we were in another state. And all of a sudden, the, the boys would say, they say, hey, look over here, there, this is... This is where this person lives, and this is where this person, and we pray for them, and we pray for them, and then, and over here we pray for them. Oh, that was just music to my ears. Little children showing a stranger, they didn't know who we were, the people that they pray for up and down the road that weren't saved. That starts something. And uh, I've had some follow-up with, with those children in some amazing ways as well. But you've got to know your neighbors. Uh, one missionary I worked with, he says, uh, isn't it amazing how many people want to come to the mission field and help out? And he said, the first question he asked anybody before they join his team is what is the name of your neighbors? Because if they don't know their neighbors, they, they, have, they don't need to come. They have work to do at home before they come here. So God has gloriously planted you in the midst of neighborhoods. Some of you have got more neighbors than the, than the rest of us do. And that means you have more opportunities than the rest of us do. But the op, this thing's not about uh, quantity. It's not about more or less. I think it's about being faithful.
with what you've got, with the gifts you've got, the children you've got, and where you're at. Uh, one thing you could do is gather your family together and say, now since we know all this and since God wants everybody to be saved and uh, it's not as well they be lost and these are their neighbors, what could we do? I think it's good to let children, I find working with the uh, students, especially at the co-op, if I ever want to know anything, I just ask them. Because they go way beyond, you know, you know I, my box stops about here and they're, they're, they're just getting on the road about out in there somewhere. Ask your children for creative ways to minister. Let them pray about it and see what we could do as a family. Uh, listen. I'm going to listen to your children's ideas, and I want to say to the older ones of us, beware, it might stretch you. I, I, I've seen the boys, they would just, they'd say things to people, that I, what did you say? And Oh, my. Ooh. Uh, I'm glad they did it. <laughs> but isn't that what we're trying to harvest? Before we get the fear of men, before we get this reputation that we think, and before we, before we dull our message down, these innocent arrows just go shoop. Uh, one day I was going through the drive-thru and uh, did the business at the drive-thru at uh, one of the fast food places. And the first voice I heard, Grandpa! You didn't even give him a track. <laughs> so beware. You may learn something. And I said, pray that God will show... Uh, pray, I think we need to pray that God will show needs around us. Here's another one. Keep a list of ongoing possibilities. When, when you think of something like, oh, yeah, we ought to do that. I carry a little, I carry a pad. I don't, you all have better widgets and gadgets than that. But, but make, make a list. Keep an ongoing list. So when you're back at home and you're tired and you're thinking, about, oh, yeah, you know what comes to my mind today? You know, get your list out. Oh, imagine about 10 or 20 eyes peering into that thing. What's this that we might be able to do? Who's this that we might be able to reach? And then take that list and pray over that list. Lay that thing out on the floor at, uh, at prayer time. Pray over the list. These are no special order, but one thing that we think is good is Operation World. How many of you have a copy of Operation World? Okay, a few. I would highly recommend getting a copy immediately of Operation World. And I think someone, is there one that's for children? Does anybody know? Okay, I see some heads going. So I don't know, is it a good, is it okay? Operation World just tells about every country in the world and the stats about the country, the lost, uh, the kind of religions that's there. What this does, it begins to show our children, the world. This teaches them why God's heart is burdened. And while they're, while, you know, you take, maybe you take one a week or one a day 
or one per uh, family night or whatever. And don't you know what? As your children begin to pray for these countries that I can't hardly pronounce, uh, don't be surprised someday if God may just call one of them there. But in the meantime, that's not what it's about. It's about developing a heart like after God. Uh, pray for that. Uh, we used to put needs in a jar. We called it, uh, we, we pull needs out of the jar and, and, and each child pick one out and pray for it that night. Uh, another thing is, uh, years and years ago, Judy and I would, uh, we had every other Friday night, we call it Young Folks Fellowship. And, and so we say, you know, part of outreach, believe it or not, is visiting the widows and the affliction and the afflicted and the fathers. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. There is encouraged in that verse, uh, uh, you got outreach and you got separation. I mean, if you don't have anything to go with, there's no need in going. Uh, so anyway, beside the point, and so we would gather together young folks who was willing to go, and we would go into uh, old folks' homes, widows. Uh, they didn't have to be German Baptist people, but it, it was a way of just exposure, getting into, into homes and just uh, broadening uh, out. Uh, don't miss the widows. I, I think sometimes it's... it's I'm speaking real plain here. It's really easy. I've seen a lot of horsepower over the year. All charged up for mission, all charged up for mission. Have you ever been in your widow's homes in your congregation? Oh, the Bible says to visit the fathers and the widows. I would pray about that. I mean, jump clear over here to there. And I mean, that's a real Bible commandment. What that does, it begins to develop a passion for others. It instills it in our children. And then it goes out from there. Uh, food and kit packing opportunities. I think it's, I just love to go down there to church and see the, all these hands just folding towels and packing. And, but what happens in all those things is, is our families are involved. And you say, well, what kind of evangelism? That? Well, you know, it, it's just like this. We don't go to a, a ball game or, or whatever and, and many baskets, it takes many baskets to win the game. It's not just one. It, it's just all an attitude of service of ministry, disaster relief. Uh, I like, we'd get the CAM newsletters out and, and look, at those, look at the coupons that could be cut out that maybe a child could take their, their, uh, their tithe or their savings and support uh, they may think they're supporting them, but you could use what they give you as seed money to do it. Uh, I've seen that. Bibles, I know, where Bibles have been bought and purchased and distributed just from a few dollars that someone would be willing to send some seed money for. And uh, they don't need to know that that was just a little fuse that got the, the bigger thing going. The, the, it's about getting involvement. Uh, it creates a passion for missions. Uh, pray for missionaries. Get, uh, collect as many missionary uh, cards and, and, fold and things as you can. Pray for them. Pray over them. Um, I think it's good to teach the children about uh, ways of including your family. Is teach them to tithe. Teach them to give. To give systematically. To give consistently. And to have a place for that. Um, you can set up a booth. I know one family set up a booth at the market and gave away free gospel books. 
I think Cam had a program with that. You could get, they send you books to give away. You take your children there and all these books are free. And the people come through the market. You can send the, give the books out, get involved in, in meeting the community. Uh, some of you meet communities and in, in markets and so forth. You, you involve your children with that. It's just any way to get involved, get in the face of the public, get in the, meet other people. Um, one thing, a, a, a family in our congregation put together a little box for, it had some little goodies in it, some water and so forth, and they had these little boxes, and uh, they gave me some. I carried them back of the car, and so when these people are along the street, uh, it might be a good opportunity to child see that little box go out. All these things, or, or the child could hand the box out. Write letters to your neighbors. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I, I remember a letter one time written uh, uh, to uh, headed down the mailbox. Uh, uh, I said, well, who, who did you write to? Well, I wrote to the sheriff. Uh, well, I went down there, and there was no stamp on the letter, but there was a letter in there. You know, write letters. Write letters to your neighbors. Uh, we were with a group some time back, and the whole church spent the evening writing letters to their neighbors, put their neighbors up on the whiteboard, and then, and then each person took a, a name and, and wrote letters to their neighbors. Uh, all kinds of ways that, that foster uh, outreach and evangelism. Open your home to visitors. Uh, many of you, I'm talking to the choir, but I want to encourage you to keep it up. Uh, you, uh, there's all kinds of, you go in the, uh, um, in the stores in, in our college towns, you, there's, there's, there's foreigners um, that don't have family. Go talk to them. Um, see what you can learn from them. You see a foreigner selling something somewhere, go to his booth. See what you can learn. Uh, maybe get a new, new acquaintance. Another one I don't want to miss is uh, singing. Uh, many of your families sing. All of your families probably sing. But that is a very effective way of ministry. Is uh, Whether it's somebody that's just discouraged, whether it's a shot-in, whether you do it over the phone, whether you, whether you do it through an app, you record something and send it, it it's, it's a real blessing. Uh, or maybe you go to the rest home and sing, or you... Uh, you sing in all kinds of places. I've, we sang with a, in airports and, and parks and, and uh, hospitals and just wherever you can, you can uh, sing. It's a good, good opportunity. Uh, serve in the local food bank. Serve at a soup kitchen. Homeless shelters. It's all about developing a, a uh, heart for the less fortunate. Work days. Helping people clean up. I thought about this. I've not done it, but learn a foreign language. How many people in here are, are learning or have learned another language? Raise your hand if you know another language. Okay. A few hands. Uh, maybe next year more. Foreign restaurants. You can, you can engage with the servers. Um, I think another one is, is write, missionary, write to missionaries. Write letters to them. Pray for them. I talked about that earlier. And so forth. Just remember, it's a lifestyle. It's not a program. And so we're going to kind of wind this up here. I just want to say this. The Christian family is a tool 
for evangelism. Remember, I said it's not a program. It's a lifestyle. It'll take your whole life to do it. I've just named a few things I'd like to hear from you. I think that you all could teach uh, the rest of us a lot about a, a family as a tool for evangelism. But in summary, I just want to say this. Family and ministry don't have to be opposing goals. Number two, our families can be tools that God uses to reach the world. And number three, there are practical ways of including our families. A question I have is, what is motivating you to do what you are doing? One day, all of our motives will be found out. Jesus' motivation for ministry was to please God. Abraham's motive was to be faithful. Noah's motive was to save his house. What is yours?